This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 373 of the Yellow Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 3-2 win against VfB Stuttgart and the uh, second leg quarterfinal against Manchester City and we will preview briefly Sunday's match against Werder Bremen which will kick off the English Woche where Dortmund will also play Union Berlin and then I think it's against VfL Wolfsburg. So Another all-or-nothing week, if you will, for the Black and Yellows. Anyway, for all that and more, joins me, Lars Perlman. Hello, Lars. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. I'm doing fine, and I'm apologizing in advance for the shorter episode, which in this instance is wholly down to me. Well, that's uh, all right, Lars. You just got to keep it snappy. So, uh, three to win against Stuttgart on Saturday, a game that uh, was very tricky, especially in the first half for the Black and Yellows. Uh, they were, I think, 1-0 down at halftime, but then turned it around quickly, only for Stuttgart to equalize again. But then Ansgar Knauf with his debut goal in Black and Yellow, a youth product, uh, scoring for Dortmund, obviously, is always nice. Uh, Lars... How did you perceive this match? What were your expectations going into it? And uh, what uh, what of those were fulfilled when you left it? I mean, we know Stuttgart are a very good side for a promoted team especially, but also just in general. I think they're very much still in the hunt for seventh place, which might be uh, a qualification spot for European football next season, depending on how the uh, cup semi-finals and final will go. Uh, so obviously going away to them is always going to be a fairly difficult game, especially uh, considering Dortmund had only just lost against Frankfurt, kind of the Bundesliga, at least in some quarters, considered to be over for Dortmund. Uh, and the Champions League game against Man City on the horizon, you could have understood, especially with this group of players and the precedent they have sent as said a few times already, if perhaps they, uh, you know, would have laid a bit of an egg uh, in Stuttgart. But to their credit, uh, I didn't feel like that was the case, even in the first half. Obviously, they uh, conceded, you know, the most obvious goal uh, <laughs> in the history of goals that they could concede. I mean, uh, I'm sure in the preview and, and in team talks before, they all mentioned how you shouldn't allow Bona Sosa to uh, cross with his left foot and you definitely shouldn't have, uh, I think it was Delaney and Guerrero on Sasha Kalajic, who's uh, tall, a, a two-meter-tall striker who is not only tall but really good, uh, not only with his head but also with his head. So when that ball flew in, I think Modahud actually said, don't let him cross it. And then as soon as the ball comes into the box, you basically know what happens, especially with Marvin Hitzengol, who has a penchant for these lopped headers or even shots, you know, kind of finding his way over him and him looking a bit silly, even though I'm not necessarily ready to call that a goalkeeping mistake. 
Yeah, but I mean, they conceded that goal. Uh, obviously, first half was tricky then, but I think the reaction shortly after uh, coming out of the halftime break and and also after conceding for the second time, that was the kind of metal that they haven't shown on a consistent level, which is something we've criticized. But I think it's only fair to uh, comment that when it's shown uh, during a game. Yeah, I mean... Right out of the locker room, Dortmund uh, turned it up quite well. Uh, Jude Bellingham, obviously I omitted that in the intro, but he also uh, scored his first league goal and uh, it was quite a nice goal. So uh, good for him to finally finding his scoring boots. Uh, arguably already found him in the first leg against Manchester City. So if you would count that, uh, he'd actually scored in uh, three games in a row. Which uh, is unusual considering uh, how Bellingham's shooting technique often has let him down in the past. Um, also nice to see that Marco Royce is on the scoring sheet. Um, I think it was only his, uh, was it his fourth or his fifth goal of the season? Uh, he has not scored. Fourth. Yeah, he has not scored many uh, in the Bundesliga, which, uh, um, yeah, for a player of his uh, uh, <laughs> Stature, uh, it's 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 not a high-scoring season. Let's just put it this way. And then, of course, um, yeah, it, it it I I felt like Daniel Didavi's goal was kind of coming in the uh, what was it 78th minute or so. Uh, feel like Dortmund was uh, uh, taking the the foot off the gas pedal a little bit too much there. Um, but I think the reaction was uh, great. And uh, Lars, uh, I think that Knopf goal took some uh, real skill there. Yeah, surprising in a way. I mean, uh, his selection against Man City kind of showed, or the the argument behind it showed his his greatest strength, which is definitely his pace. Um, I think he stretched Man City f a few times in that game and also in the second leg, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but also in the second leg, you saw uh, you saw a lot of you know the limitations that uh, Knauf still has, and the reason why at 19 uh, he's only now uh, only just now making his first few steps in the at the highest <laughs> level, whereas other talents at Dortmund, be that Bellingham or Girena or obviously Sancho Haaland and all the the other guys, they have already all made more steps at the same age as that Knauf has. So. Given those limitations, uh, I was quite surprised to see the uh, nimbleness of his footwork in front of uh, or ahead of that goal, and also just the the finish. I mean, it wasn't you know uh, shooting for the fences, if you like. It was really rather cool, calm, and collected. Um, and and because of that, I think that was actually one of the nicely or most nicely worked goals. Uh, from an individual um, standpoint uh, that Dortmund have had this season. I mean, they surely had a few even more spectacular ones and more important ones, but, you know, just for a young guy making uh, his first few steps in the Bundesliga to have the composure in that situation and, and to basically give Dortmund a win, you could debate whether that's much needed or too little too late, but still a win at Stuttgart is a pretty decent result for them and gave them a bit of a confidence shot, I'm sure, for the Man City game, in which I think you could see it, especially in the first, let's say, 20 or 25 minutes, that there was actual uh, real belief that they might pull the surprise or sensation, however you want to 
describe it miracle. <laughs> yeah, no, Ansgar Knauf really did thread it uh, through the uh, proverbial needle there uh, because he just found that teeny tiny gap that you need to score, uh, which I find uh, was a really amazing goal. Um, now, if we skip ahead to Wednesday, uh, we already knew that uh, if Dortmund were to progress, they would not meet Bayern because they uh, uh, only had a 1-0 win against PG, which was not enough. Um, such a shame. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, Jude Bellingham gave Dortmund a lot of hope uh, in the 15th minute. A cracking goal. Uh, really did not leave Ederson with much of a chance there, even though I think the uh, City goalkeeper was still there. Um, as you just mentioned, very strong opening 15 minutes uh, by Dortmund. Which is kind of to be expected. It's it's funny. I think at the beginning of the season, you always uh, like had to fear for the worst in the opening fifteen to twenty minutes of this Dortmund side. They took things slowly, and I feel like now it's flipping a little bit, where they are often strung out of the gate, and then uh, you know, <laughs> like it should get concede the very first chance. Um, I think overall, you know. There's not much else to say than Manchester City were clearly the better team and did deserve to go through uh, on the performances over both legs, especially the second half. I, I think uh, City were just way too dominant for, for Dortmund to resist this pressure. But uh, still, nevertheless, going in uh, into the locker room, uh, one up and being basically through is an achievement, something I did not necessarily expect for Dortmund to, to, to be still in it this way uh by that time uh what did you make of this performance i think i i, I read you say that uh, for dortmund to pull this off not enough players did show up which i sort of agree with yeah i mean first of all i definitely agree that uh the scoreline even in the first leg i think flattered dortmund in a in a way i think especially foden arguably had enough chances to uh, make the scoreline more comfortable for Man City in the first leg. In the second leg, definitely the first 20 or so minutes, uh, surprisingly good in a way, considering the level of the opposition. Uh, Man City obviously kind of through their league game, if I'm not mistaken. They had a lot of changes personnel-wise, yes. which, uh, I mean, is only fair when you have that kind of talent sitting on the bench. I mean, I think Raheem Sterling played like five minutes against Dortmund. Uh, he would no doubt be Dortmund's best player at this point in, in the season. So that that, that kind of shows the, the, the gap. And knowing that, definitely impressed with the way Dortmund came out of the gates. You already mentioned the nicely worked goal by Bellingham. Uh, something nobody's really talking about is that big chance uh, Akanji had just after the first goal, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, after a corner swinging in from the left side, he had basically had a free header. If that's 2-0, and, and knowing the, uh, the, the history Man City have, I mean, as a club, there's a bit of a lack of history, you could argue, but uh, over the last few years... Uh, under Pep Guardiola, going up by two goals, maybe that would have been, you know, the the psychological boost that Dortmund needed, or the the downfall for Man City. Who knows? Obviously, then they turned up the screws, and uh, Dortmund kind of were lucky to 
go into the halftime break uh, with their lead. I think they had goal line clearances of Matteo Murray. The cameras didn't really pick that up quickly enough, and I didn't see too many replays of that. There was also one by Bellingham, which uh, showed his level of care and want, which <laughs> some players just didn't really produce, uh, especially in the second leg. I think they got very little out of Erling Haaland in both games. Uh, obviously, that's rarely, if ever, down to the striker alone. I mean, if you don't get him involved, there's not much someone like Haaland with his playing style can do. But still, I mean, given how he's missed the Champions League and and has his agents uh, making field trips in the middle of April to uh, sound out transfers that might be coming 18 months later, or no, not 18, but 14 months later or whatever, uh, you could argue that he didn't really show up in these two games. Uh, and the same could be said for a few of the other guys. And when you play a team like Man City, much like you know Bayern or uh, Paris last season or Paris if they had met them again this season, uh, there's not much room for error within Dortmund's capacity and you know too many of them just didn't reach the level and as such uh, it was a matter of time until City finally found that opening obviously the way it came about with another stupid uh, penalty uh, conceded by Emre Can I mean that was that was really the the frustrating part of this this Champions League tie in in which over the 180 minutes I think Dortmund did pretty well for themselves. Yeah, I mean, if we talk about the Emre Can uh, penalty, I think there was some controversy around it because uh, I think by the letter of the law, if uh, you had the ball from your head to a body part like the arm or so, then it's uh, supposedly not going to be penalized. But I'll be honest, to me, it kind of looked like when you like throw the basketball and it gets stuck between the glass and the rim <laughs> uh, or the backboard. Um, you know, it was very simultaneously. I think if if you look at it in the super, super slow, mo slow motion, uh, you actually see that I think it came off uh, John's head. But, uh, you know, he really had his chicken wing out. <laughs> so um, uh, while... I think I would have liked the referee to go into the re review area and take a look at it since it's a very monumental decision. At the same time, um, yeah, it's not like uh, uh, this this particular decision now uh, would have ruined my entire week because uh, it's it, it wasn't to me as egregious as the, the, the call on Bellingham, to be honest. And uh, yeah, it was just a little, little silly. Uh, I mean, John's arm clearly moved into that direction. I don't, I don't know how you see it. I, I just found it uh, very annoying that it happened and the way it happened. And it was John of all people uh, once again, um, you know, screwing it up sort of. What did you make of it? I mean, uh, I was also a bit surprised that they didn't look at it. Uh, I mean, I, I almost wanted to say they did, but I think I remember now that they didn't. And then uh, the ref said handball is clear. And now they're checking whether it's offside in, in the build-up. Uh, I don't think we necessarily got any uh, replays. You know, replays there. But I think just generally, I don't. I, I in, in this instance, I would throw the rule book out of the uh, the window a bit because that's just so dumb. By the player that he doesn't deserve to get away with it so <laughs> if if that's 
by the absolute letter of the law, not a penalty, a big whoop. I mean, just don't do that. Like, he had I, I, no I like pressure to do that. The, the last poem in Book of Football Rules, Rule 1, if you're a moron, you deserve to be penalized. <laughs> I mean, if if there's some small section by law that says you can do that, I mean, that's still, don't give the referee the opportunity to get it wrong. Like, uh, there, there was no one immediately behind him there was no immediate danger it, it was just kind of stupid and i i given that this wasn't the first instance of emrojan doing something fairly hard to understand in the box in the champions league knockout stages this season so within the last uh, i don't know six weeks or so uh, remembering back to that sevilla game uh, yeah my level of sympathy for him is fairly low yeah right now. yeah I don't want to sound like a reactionary, but obviously I'll do. And I, I think uh, I'm I'm kind of done with watching Emre Can in the Champions League. I, you know, I'm totally okay with the... Well, you're in luck, Stefan, because <laughs> you're not going to at least for uh, 18 <laughs> months or so, 16. <laughs> yes, uh, but uh, uh, what I was saying is if the uh, quote-unquote transition year... <laughs> <laughs> which we will definitely have uh, does not feature Emre Can I will not be devastated is uh, all I'm saying if uh, if uh, he wants to take his uh, experience elsewhere um, I'm I'm very much okay with that is all I'm going to say um, which is also a nice transition to uh, one Erlang Haaland because I still think we have to talk about it briefly um, because uh, there are kind of two things that annoy me one is that uh, apparently uh uh, his teammates think that it's smarter to use him as a decoy and then just sort of play it in the space when when there's sort of a break or an opportunity where Haaland is not running in uh, because he obviously does bind some defenders. But I still think that uh, trying to pass it to Haaland uh, is the higher percentage uh, <laughs> uh chance if you will um on the other hand also a thing that really annoys me right now is a bit uh is holland's body language and his lack of participation especially against uh, manchester city he uh could have i think helped out a little bit more by trying to regain possession and uh, dropping a bit deeper even though that's obviously uh, the unceremonious part of uh, a striker but i think if you are um you know in a situation where the opponent, I think, had, what, 61% of possession and uh, was really uh, turning the screw uh, with every uh, minute. I, I, I think there is some criticism in store for Haaland, who, uh, as you said already, uh, did not have the strongest uh, of showings at all. I think he only had, like, three touches in the box over 180 uh, minutes. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not enough for me. I think... Uh, both in terms of how Dortmund failed to give him any service in both in, uh, in the way Haaland did not really get involved as we've seen he can get involved in a match um, was a bit frustrating to me. Your take? Yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is if you include uh, the World Cup qualifiers with Norway, which uh, I think they didn't necessarily play a murderous role of opponents, uh, he's now gone seven games without scoring which I'm sure is a career high for him given how short his career has been and how prolific he's been in front of goal uh, four of those games obviously coming with Dortmund uh, a few important games in there um, I mean it's not like he wasn't involved at all uh, for example against Stuttgart he was involved in 
against Man a couple City of the too, goals. In the first leg, he had a assist. He had the assist for Royce as well. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, we are still talking about a fantastic player, obviously. But when you set the bar so high for yourself with your performances, with some of the attitude, I mean, obviously. Uh, his reaction to uh, maybe not getting the perfect pass at times. I mean, that's that reaction has been the same, whether he scores three goals per game or he doesn't score in three weeks in, or for three, three weeks in a row. I mean, that's just the hallmark of a lot of strikers. Uh, obviously, people will perhaps know that I'm watching Inter uh, <laughs> as my second team or uh, sometimes it feels like the first team because Dortmund, following Dortmund as a fan can be difficult when you also work as a journalist uh, and but they have Romelu Lukaku and he displays pretty much the same if you want to negative body language and because they're winning all the time nobody's talking about it in a negative way but rather in oh look how much uh, Big Rom wants it and, and he's so eager for the, the championship which is coming in the next couple of weeks or whenever so I mean the, the, the body language part is something I always balk at, but I mean, there's no denying that they didn't get enough performance out of Holland in these two games to uh, reach the semifinals. And again, given the uh, circus surrounding him, uh, I think it's only uh, to be expected that criticism will uh, hit him harder than other teammates who did uh, perform under or, or, or underperform uh, just as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, if we talk about players that also didn't really hit their levels, I, I think Rafael Guerrero is a very good shot there in the second leg. Um, given his qualities and the things he has shown uh, before, uh, it was a rather quiet night. Um, but there are several more to mention. But uh, one last point on Haaland, I think. Um, one chicken is a little bit coming home to roost here in the sense that uh, Dortmund never really uh, had a backup for him and that he did play a lot of minutes and he's only 20 years old. And I still think that, uh, you know, Manchester City had the uh, luxury, let's say, to, uh, as you said, throw a game and, uh, you know, rotate and rest a lot of players. And uh, I, I think uh, on, on such a high level, those things do make a little bit of a difference. So, um if you had the chance to rest him a couple times here and there or just, you know, cut his minutes a bit shorter, I think this would have helped, um, is all I'm saying. But are, yeah, are, are you saying, Stefan, that playing Ansgar Knauf and Stefan Tigges in a uh, Champions League quarterfinal might say something about how the team is constructed? No, not at all. I would never suggest that. No. Who, me? No, no. Uh, yeah. Of course not. Of course not. Uh, that's the, the the greatest squad building strategy development whatever uh, uh, ever. It's uh, trust the process. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, it's uh, just uh, ama amazing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if if only uh, if only Dortmund would be playing as well as the Philadelphia 76ers this season. That's uh, be quite amazing. However, not the case. So uh, with all that being said, Lars. Uh, we are now taking our focus on what we will do on Sunday, which is watch Formula 1 in Imola. Um, but all kidding aside, Borussia Dortmund do have to play against Werder Bremen, uh, where they haven't fared too well uh, recently. What are we making of this game? For our listeners who also watch F1, I mean, we are all in agreement. I'm assuming that Nikita Mazepin will already be out before Dortmund kickoff because <laughs> there's a 30-minute th difference. 
maybe Zeb Vettel as well. Uh, I keep my fingers crossed because I do not like him. Um, How can yeah, you not I like mean, Vettel, honestly? He's one of the nicest guys. What's not to like? Moving on. Uh, <laughs> Bremen haven't uh, scored a Bundesliga point in four games, I believe. Uh, I think they have one out of their last five. Uh, conceded 10 goals in those four defeats uh, to Leipzig and three other teams I don't remember. So what was once a season that was considered to be, you know, a very solid one and, and one in which they wouldn't have the same issues as last season where they only saved themselves in the relegation playoffs thanks to the away goals rule, which I still think is kind of stupid, especially in COVID times. But uh, Bremen have now or now have some level of pressure, which I guess from a Dortmund perspective is not the greatest thing because we know that Bremen against a few opponents, Dortmund chief among them, can really excel and, and uh, show much better performances than the team seems to be capable of. Frankfurt is another example. There's a bit of a rivalry uh, with the coaches as well there. And uh, looky here, Bremen also beat Frankfurt earlier in the year. So it's definitely uh, a fixture after the uh, Champions League uh, defeat, which um, I think in this podcast a few months ago would have been described perhaps as a trap game. But I think Dortmund don't have the luxury of considering any game trap. Yeah, I if that makes sense. Yeah, I totally agree. It totally makes sense. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm. I mean, it's it's obviously always an odd game because I watch Bremen too too often for my own liking. I don't know why. Uh, maybe it's down to their schedule, but uh, they're not really a good team. But Dortmund, I mean, they really find ways to screw up against teams that are not good teams. Uh, just think about the Cologne game. I still sort of shudder when. Which I one? Yeah, yeah, both games, to be honest. They, 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 they were both terrible. I mean, Bremen right now, they're in 13th. You know, they have seven wins. They have nine draws. They have 12 defeats. Um, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's not a, it's not a fun side. They score 1.14 goals per game, concede 1.54. Um, so obviously, um, they're not a good Bundesliga side. Um, I don't even know. Who their who their best players are right now? I because uh, usually in, in my book it, it would be uh, Rashica. He of one Bundesliga goal this season, which came via penalty in the one four defeat against Leipzig. Yeah, yeah, this guy. Uh, but I I mean I think the top scorer the is Josh Sargent, who I absolutely do not rate at all. So uh, and and I think he's he's level with uh, Füllkrug and Möwald. So um, yeah, it's. It's it's a drab better Bremen side. Uh, seeing that uh, we sort of have to wrap up our recording last, uh, what's your prediction for a game that I'll probably not going to watch or only on the second screen? Uh, just real quick, the best Bremen player against Dortmund isn't Rashica. It's without fail uh, Jerzy Pavlenka, their goalkeeper, who also kept out a penalty in the first meeting this season, which Reus then scored on the rebound in Edin Terzic's uh, debut as head coach, which was a 2-1 win. And this time it's going to be a 3-2 win for Dortmund. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I'm actually going to say it's going to be a 3-1 game. It's it's a home match for Dortmund, right? Or do I have this wrong? I feel like that maiden win was in Bremen for Terzic. 
Yeah, they play at home against uh, Bremen and Union and then travel to Wolfsburg. Yeah, not that it matters too much because uh, Dortmund's home record this season uh, is obviously not uh, great. Anyway, uh, thank you very much, Lars, for uh, stepping in for Matthias, who's still recovering from his second uh, COVID vaccine shot. Um, so uh, rest well, Matthias. I hopefully uh, will not have uh, any big side effects when I get mine on Monday. Um, I don't know about you, Lars, and when you will get yours since you are based in Germany, mm -hmm. a country which not is... Not this year, I don't yeah. think. That's, uh, that's too bad. And now that... Uh, the contractors of our neighbors start hammering at the deck. I think it's a very good uh, time to wrap this up. So uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, we shall be back with a review and the preview of the Bremen match and the Union game uh, next week. So another two uh, episodes per week. Week. <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening and goodbye.